BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, Redheads, to another episode of the Redheads Book Club February edition 2023. All girls on deck. Hey, ladies, how you doing? Hey, Hey, Jax. Hey, Jax. How y'all doing? That's what I should say for every opening. Uh, Hi, guys. I want to hear from everyone. You know, every redhead stretch of month is just, it's too long since we've been podcasting together. So let's start with Becky as this is, nope, this was my month. Never mind. (laughs) But let's start with Becky anyway, to my right on the screen. Hi, Bex. How are you doing? Honored, Jax. And you're to the left on my screen. So it's like we can reach out and hold hands. I'm great. Uh, This month was lovely. I had a delicious vacation in the middle of it. So I went to St. Thomas and soaked up the sun. And honestly, I'm about to get some more sun because we are making our way down to Florida this week to Grace, Jax, and Roldini, honestly. Like, Mm -hmm. Bruce, of course, but we're so excited. So I'm honestly centering a lot of my energy and just joy around that imminent trip. But everything's great. Yeah, I'm so excited. Becky, Dana, and our other friend, Sam, are all coming down to Florida to visit me this weekend. And it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a little Redheads reunion, three quarters Redheads reunion. Snitch, it's never too late. Never too late never to book too a trip. Late. And by the way, so excited that Claudia is going to be there. Yeah, Claudia got here oh last night. God. So she'll also be in the Sunshine State. And literally the only person missing is the Snitch. So Snitch, how are you doing? How are things in Snitchlandia? I'm good. Um, unlike my sister Claudia, I am a planner. So I need to plan. So I can't just pick. She calls me on Monday morning and she's like, hey, by the way, I'm going to Florida today if you want to come. And I was like, when did you when did that happen? When did you decide that? She goes, five minutes ago. I was like, I'm at the office. It's a Monday. I can't. I'm so sorry. I can't hop on a plane, but I hope you have the best time. What about um, on Friday, Snitch? Yeah, it's just not that easy, you know? Okay. Like, I just can't figure it out. I'm a planner. Like, I know my next two and a half months, you know? Understand. Um, just don't include me. Um, um, and nobody <laughs> would love to be here because the boys are running wild in Florida, and it's just been a great time. Totally. But Nolia also doesn't want to get on a plane on a Friday and then get on another plane on a Sunday. You know? I don't think she said that. No, no. She literally whispered in my ear late night last night. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll miss you. Dana, how are you? I'm great. We'll miss you a lot, Snitch, but I completely sympathize with being a planner. So heart goes out to you. I'm not a spontaneous girly either. 
Um, I recently celebrated a birthday. 31 is a very ugly age. Just like sweep it under the rug. We'll have a big party at 35. But it was great. I have spent three out of like the past eight weekends in Florida. And I can't wait to be coming back to the Sunshine State. We're excited to have you. Happy belated birthday. Everyone, you know, wish Jaden a happy birthday in the comments or in our podcast reviews alongside five stars. Never oh, heard. The toasters actually came out in full force on the birthday, like posting old videos, like giving me nice messages. That's they so really cute. warmed that's my so heart. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's so they're, nice. They're such a supportive clan. That's so great. And we have oh such my God. a supportive... Yeah. Sorry, you guys. I was in the elevator at work last week, like at my place of work, and someone's looking at me at my earphones and I can't hear them. I'm like, oh God, someone else who like I can't recognize facially because I seriously struggle with facial recognition of people I'm supposed to know. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, are you Dana of the Redheads? And I, I – this has happened like a few times, but within context, like I'll be with Jackie or it'll be like at a place without a lot of toasters. Like in a big financial firm elevator, I was extremely caught off guard. And just shout out to like that toaster who works in Three Bryant Park. How did it make you feel? <laughs> did you enjoy the experience? Oh, my gosh. more of it? Wanted more of it. You know that my coworker – Are you addicted to the fame? Addicted to the fame. My coworker, who's our number one fan, who bought out the Redheads merch store for all of my colleagues, like I ran to her office. I'm like, you'll never guess what just happened. Oh, my God. And that is so cute. There's just Redheads in the wild everywhere. That's crazy. She just recognized your face. Like I have a Redheads phone case, so sometimes like that sparks conversation. But like honestly, not even – no, it was, I was, re- it's, that has never happened before. It was completely unexpected. I love that. Very cool. Well, shout out to that redhead for making Dana feel so special. We'll pay you off later. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, the redheads community is strong and it is growing and we love doing the show. We're going, we're about to come up on our anniversary, our three year anniversary of doing the show. We started it in February of 2020, like literally in a few days, it's our anniversary. So Happy birthday to us. It's amazing to see how far the community has gone, how many books we've read, and how we are a constant in this world, I do believe. I don't think we've ever really missed a month, except Jack's when you had Harry. Yeah, I took one month maternity leave, but we gave, you know, enough of a warning to people. So, like, we didn't really miss it. Like, we took off. Not only have we not missed, we've doubled down in the pandemic to do two episodes a month at one point. Yeah, for two months, but we'll never let anyone That was it? It It was it. We had two snitches choices, two my choices, and then we went back to normal. It was a lot. Yeah, two books in two (laughs) weeks. Like, it's it's a lot. But one book a month, that's the Redheads formula here. So if you're new here, welcome. This is the Redheads book club where I, Jackie O of The Toast, I'm joined by two of my best friends, Dana and Becky, and my little sister, the snitch. (laughs) Little sister. We love to read. So every month, each of us chooses a book, and then we hop on the pod. We dissect it, break it down, recap, maybe roast it, and roast each other. And it's a really good time. So this month was my choice, and we read The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post by Allison Pataki. So I will do a quick summary of the book, and then we'll get into our thoughts. The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post is about a magnificent woman named Marjorie Post. She is born in the late 1800s, which was not, I wasn't really 
realizing that when I chose the book, but I love, you know, going back, turning back the clock, late 1800s in the Midwest to, to, you know, her mother and her father who soon moved to Battle Creek, Michigan because her father is sick. There they discover the power of healing foods and, you know, eating healthy. And her dad launches a business off of that concept called Post Foods, Post Cereal. Um, And it becomes a huge success. Marjorie grows up in enormous wealth. She continues to live life in enormous wealth. When her father passes away, she takes over the business by proxy through her husband's. Uh, Over the years, she marries and divorces four different men, very different in their way about them. You know, with, with each marriage, she definitely like learns something and finds the exact opposite of her last partner. But then, you know, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop at a certain point. That's where that's where I was. But she also has three wonderful daughters along the way. She does amazing philanthropic work. She is literally at every major event throughout history. She builds marvelous homes. She really just enjoys life as much as she can while also feeling um, very pulled to use her wealth as magnanimously as possible. So this story is just the true story of a larger than life woman, one who you probably have not heard about if you're not really into history. And even if you are like me, I had not heard about her. And then once you read the book, you realize how how she had a hand in so many things that we use every single day. So not so plot driven, just a character story similar to American Duchess, which we read a few years ago, which was also my choice. I love books like this. Um, It's a historical fiction book about, you know, uh, and I think some of these historical fiction authors like love to find a woman in history who has otherwise been forgotten and share their story to the masses and bring everything back to the fore. So let's get into our thoughts on the book. I will go first as it was a Jackie's choice and it couldn't have been more of a Jackie's choice if I wrote it myself. Like it was so me just, I love historical fiction. I love focusing on one character. I love books that are about a person's lifetime and not just, they're almost like a biography, but of course historical fiction makes it fun and less historical. I will say though, I am becoming a little critical of the genre just because I read so much of it. And so this is actually my fourth book by Alison Pataki. I read The Queen's Fortune a few years ago and I loved it. It was one of the first like historical fiction character books that I had read and I was like, this is amazing. And then most recently I read her two books about Empress Cece. One is The Accidental Empress and then the other is like Empress on Her Own. And by the second book I was like, okay, because a part of me likes that these historical fiction books make the story more interesting palatable and as Alison Pataki said herself they try to find like the emotional truths in between the facts of her life and they sort of ad lib but and another part of me is just like this is a fallacy like what did she really say what did she really do like why are we speaking for Marjorie um overall I really enjoyed the book because I loved learning the facts about this person but I am sort of reaching the crossroads with the genre in general, but I also have tried to read just like straight biographies then because I'm like, I don't want so much of the fictitiousness, but that's too dry for me. So I kind of don't know where to turn. Let me ask Becky, what did you think? Well, first of all, great recap. And I, I agree with you. I think with historical fiction, like I do like how it becomes more of a narration and plot driven. But along the way, I definitely am like, how the heck 
are we jumping from here to here emotionally? Um, but I thought her story was so fascinating. I honestly did not know any, anything, truly. Like, where have I been all my life? Because she had such a hand in basically everything that has become relevant in society today. Um, I loved hearing about her, like, as a businesswoman, of course. I loved the fashion, the jewelry, the art, like, the relevance in, like, Smithsonian culture, obviously the gardening. I really enjoyed hearing about her as a mother. Like, she instilled such incredible lessons to her daughters and she was just such an icon in their eyes you could tell that like they like ate up everything that she had to say and like she was just iconic for them um I think like I loved the first half of the book this has been happening to me recently and I don't know if it's a me problem or if it's the book problem and I've had this conundrum like I loved the first half of the book and then I got to part three and I was like okay something is no longer clicking I think when it came to the Joseph marriage, mm-hmm. it I started to become a little bit like over it. Not over it, but I just was kind of exhausted. And I think the reason why, because I contemplated this, is because like it became so husband focused, whereas I feel like the first half of the book was like more about Marjorie and like who she was and some accomplishments. So I think like the husband driven content was a little bit draining for me. I feel that. We got some comments like that. So we'll get into that a little bit. I I do understand. Dana, what did you think? So this genre is very unfamiliar to me. Um, And yet I had a similar takeaway of being a little de-romanticized with it. I felt like the author had a laundry list of bullets points that she wanted to cover about Marjorie's life. And she kind of like interwove them, not in the best way interspersed with those like sentimental personal moments. It felt idiosyncratic to me. I didn't like the way that it was written. I didn't like that storytelling narrative of having to um, present us with the facts, but also present us with like the emotionality of it. Not my cup of tea. I thought it was a really interesting book. I would knew nothing about Marjorie Post, and I genuinely enjoyed learning about her. I didn't find her to be so likable, to be honest. I kind of agree with you. I thought, like, her grotesque wealth displays were a little disgusting. They made her out to be, like, this great philanthropist, and I know that she was, but maybe this was the fault of the author. The way that she spoke about it had me rolling my eyes so far in the back of my head. Like, for example... She was supposed to have helped so much in the Great War by just, like, throwing money at the problem of the ship supplies. But it's, like, that felt very easy to do. You have endless cash. Okay, a ship sank. You giving more money, like, didn't really stir me up to think of you as this, like, great revolutionary person. And when they, she felt defensive to me. Like, when they went out on their boat and took that vacation and, like, respite from all the terror that was going on in America during the First World War, like the way that she piled on oh and I left all of my charities in very capable hands and made sure that like everything was going smoothly it felt like a cop-out it didn't feel like she was actually doing anything so I don't know at every turn when she was talking about like her projects now she's someone who can't sit still it's like girl those projects are like you building your 20th house like I'm not impressed (laughs) I agree 
that every time she needed a project, like it was another house and like yes. that's what she would throw herself into. And like, I'm not saying like I would be any better than her, like with the <laughs> immense wealth that she had. And it seems like, especially in the Great Depression, like she really gave as much as she could to as many people as she could. But the focus on like all of these things was, it was a lot. And I'm someone who like, and maybe this is also me kind of becoming inured to the things that I'm reading about. But, like, I love reading about, like, the Gilded Age and, like, you know, the that same era, like, the Victorian era and the aristocracy. But, like, I'm starting to get to a point where it's, like, what about everyone else? Yes. I felt that the whole time. I was, like, are you kidding? Like, okay, you're kind of acknowledging that you have more wealth than you could ever spend. But that's turning me off. Like, her the Mar-a-Lago building like that's where I kind of hit my breaking point like I can't with another one of her projects just having to do with the wealth that she is amassing and spending in ridiculous ways that aren't really helping society and the last thing I'll say about her is she seemed extremely unself-aware and I would have loved to hear from all of her husbands about like how they felt in the marriage because it seemed to be a trend that they were all at their wits end by her and that she was like controlling them and I would like to hear from them and they all had the same complaints about her yes not like each of them was like obviously some of them were when the the second one like wouldn't stop like drinking and philandering like you could just tell but like whenever they would fight they all had the same retort about yes. her it's like Marjorie maybe you're not that easy to be married to either which I imagine that you're not because like you are this like wealthy formidable woman and that's amazing but like I mean even like the most the smartest people the most generous people like everyone has an ugly side Totally. And I wish she like acknowledged it more. I wish she had said like I was difficult to live with and instead she painted the picture very much so like these were all drunkards and how am I so unlucky? It's like are you unlucky or are you impossible to live with? And also are you falling in love with everyone in two weeks? Are you falling in love with everyone in one day? Getting married two weeks later and then wondering why you don't know them. I was wondering if it was a sign of the times. I was like oh she, she must have to get married otherwise she couldn't be caught dead in public with this person. Like it's and then I was like, I don't think that's how it works. No, because if that were the case, then how would she have been able to get divorced so many times? I don't think that's how it works once you're divorced. Like, I think the divorce is a scandal when she was, like, a young girl. Obviously, she's not going to be, like, going out and, you know, you find your sweetheart and you get married. But as you get older, and also those rules go out the window, and also, like, Marjorie doesn't have to follow any rules. What is someone going to do to her? Cancel her? 100%. Right. That's why I was like, must you still get married? Totally. Yeah. I do think, though, it shows that it was a well-written book in that sense, because all of us were able to detect the nuances of how she was probably impossible. But Marjorie herself was putting forth a different story. So the author did a good job at, like, slightly showing us what was really under the surface. Perhaps. Snitch, I want to know what you thought, because this also this book came highly recommended from your BFF, Emily Halp, Halp Reads. Mm-hmm. She, like, raved about this book. Yeah. Um, I really liked it. I actually, opposite you, Rit, like the first half, I couldn't fucking, like, I literally couldn't get through it. Ooh, interesting. You didn't like Winter in Battle Creek, Michigan? No, I didn't. And maybe it was like the Michigan of it all, Rit, that you were like loving. Connected. I, uh, that part was like so rough for me. Um, But honestly, opposite you guys, and maybe it's because I don't read these books a lot like I fucking lived for hearing about how she spent her money like I was like I have to be on the sea cloud like get me there like I was just like living for it um yeah the the project and the building of houses like every five seconds I was just like I don't understand like mostly because like how do you have enough patience like building a house takes yeah so long like you're just, especially I can't even imagine how long it must take there like 
that was just like so crazy to me um and then I have two things to say. One, the Mar-a-Lago thing like shocked the hell out of me. I was like, what the fuck does Mar-a-Lago have to do with any of this? And then all of a sudden, she's the bitch who made Mar-a-Lago. Like, that's crazy. But then yeah. also, sorry, I like don't really know a lot of history. Does Mar-a-Lago now belong to the White House? No. No. So what happened was after, when, upon her death, she was trying to like bequeath it as a gift mm-hmm. to the White House. So the National Park Service took it over for a few years they tried to like make it the winter white house like she wanted but they actually couldn't afford the upkeep with the amount of funds that she had left and i think Mm -hmm. the few presidents who were in office didn't even use it it was kind of like a flop and so um congress gifted it back to the post foundation and then in 1985 it was bought by trump oh 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 okay also eligible to the concept of Marjorie Post being like, of course, the president needs to summer in Palm Beach. Right. right. No, and also it's like, I'm I so mean, generous. I'm like, it's so like, it's a really nice idea. And I guess because like she really had so much respect for like politicians and diplomacy. It's like you guys deserve a winter White House. But it's like could have became a hospital or something like <laughs> I don't know. Or like a yeah. rehab facility. Yes. To like rehome the head of government and all of his people for like the cool winter months that they they need to have some sunshine it's hilarious i had no idea so appreciate this this story for opening our eyes and jacks for layering on that additional anecdote also yeah i had i had heard once recently but i don't know in what vein like literally a few months ago that like at one point mar-a-lago was intended to be a winter white house and but i didn't know i don't i don't know where i heard it and like why and now it all makes sense. And also it's so interesting that like literally the government couldn't afford it. They were like, yeah, this is too big, girl. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, did anyone look up Hillwood? The no. house that, oh my God, sickening. The house in D.C.? The, yeah, the one that's like a museum now. Yeah. Oh, I want to look it up. And also like I would like to go to that museum mm-hmm. because the storyline about like the storyline for me in Russia when they went to communist Russia and like all of the different cultural things going on there and the commissary and all of the uh SARS valuables just like sitting in a warehouse being sold off by the gram like that was the most interesting thing to me that was crazy yeah I did enjoy like going on a Wikipedia rabbit hole after about post-consumer brands and just reading like all the things that they've acquired etc yeah that was interesting and like I feel like most of us have heard of post cereals now going back and like seeing what brands they had acquired like Maxwell's coffee bird's eye frozen meats and foods like I eat those every day I eat those frozen (sighs) vegetable bags like every single day I whenever I'm cooking like I don't cook vegetables I just like use those I love them and I have to thank my queen Marjorie Post yeah and so then it became general foods which I feel like we all know but now Kraft bought General Foods. Yeah, well, Philip Morris bought, bought General Foods and Kraft, mm. merged the two of them to be like Kraft General Foods, and now it's Kraft. Got it. Wow. Yeah, so crazy. Really fascinating. Also, they were bought for like $5 billion in the 80s, which was like the biggest non-oil merger at the time. And did that money, like that did, did the Post family like stay involved you know like did that money go to like the daughters you know that one of the daughters did you read the acknowledgments died dina the youngest died while allison pataki was writing the book yes she's 93 i think that the five billion would have gone to the post the three daughters Mm -hmm. and then from there they're out of the business 
Got with it. Got five it. Bill. Okay, let's get into our DBQs. We have so many great questions about the book, and I'm glad that, you know, Convo is already flying off the shelves. Before we get into that, I need to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Pear Eyewear. Pear Eyewear is the only eyewear you'll ever need. They have budget-friendly base frames with styles from classic to cat eye at just $60, including prescription. With frames designed for men, women, and kids, the whole family can customize their own looks. Having one base frame is all you need to express yourself in so many ways. It's so great to have a pair of frames that you can totally count on, whether you need prescription lenses or your sunglass queen, such as I. They have hundreds of magnetic top frame styles to choose from. The top frames start at $25, so you can build a collection that's unique to you. Just like at the Redheads, we are all so unique as we choose unique books and we wear unique eyewear. Pear knows vision is essential. So today, over 200 million children worldwide who need glasses can't get them. For every pair you buy, Pear is providing glasses to a child in need. We love a company that gives back. That's very Marjorie Post of them. Get glasses that stay as fresh as your unique style with Pear. Go to PearEyewear.com slash redheads for 15% off your first purchase. That's Pear, P-A-I-R, Eyewear.com slash redheads for 15% off your first purchase. As a reminder, redheads is spelled R-E-A-D-H-E-A-D-S. Each of us got a pair of Pear Eyewear. And it's so like cute how they're all so different because we're all so different, but they are Pear, they are quality, and they are fabulous. Today's episode is also brought to you by Nutrafol. You guys, everyone is talking about Nutrafol because millions of women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you're among them, know that you're not alone and there is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the five root causes of thinning stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism through whole body health. Nutrafol has three unique formulas to support women throughout all stages of life, including postpartum and menopause. You guys, the postpartum hair loss journey is so, so real and amazing products like Nutrafol make it a little easier on us mamas. Each formula is physician formulated using natural drug-free medical grade ingredients in consistently effective dosages. So you get the most reliable results. Snitch, I know you just started your Nutrafol journey. Can you tell us a bit about it? I did. I literally just started like a week or two ago. So obviously it's more of like a habitual thing. You got to get into the habit to see the results. Mm -hmm. But I'm really excited to see like the transformation of my hair. I love that for you. I mean, hair loss, especially as you get older, is so real. And it's so nice to know that like we're not left alone because we have Nutrafol and we have an amazing code for you. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code REDHEAD to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code REDHEAD. Again, REDHEAD is R-E-A-D-H-E-A-D. Thank you so much to our wonderful sponsors. DBQ's first question. Had you heard of Marjorie Post before? Great no. question. No. No. Which is so crazy. Crazy. What did you learn about her historical significance from this book? Are there ways you think Marjorie's legacy has shaped your life today? Well, she has 100% shaped mealtime for me. Like the frozen veggies, bird's eye 
like maybe that would have become a thing eventually but like I literally use the bird's eye ones like I'm a Marjorie girly and she and her family like invented cereal sort of invented cereal that is sold at mass market um also did anyone know what postum was no no like the coffee Same. replacement yeah. yeah i had never i don't drink coffee but i had never heard of it you should drink postum yeah i was awed by the refrigerator i didn't know marjorie was so instrumental in everybody having a fridge in their homes oh yeah true. but i was actually like a little concerned in the story because it felt like she was a little too far ahead of that trend like because she invested in frozen foods and like you know people having refrigerators at home or ice boxes before the depression and I feel like that became really popular in like the after World War II you know when like families like consumer goods were just like flying off the shelves so I thought that like for a while they would take a loss but of course not like she just keeps prospering money just grows on trees for Marjorie literally what was her cereal like I'm I'm envisioning Cheerios great nuts I don't know grape nuts. Like, okay, I, don't eat, I just, I don't a girl I went to camp with was obsessed with grape nuts. They're like these, <laughs> it looks like bird food. It, it's so interesting. And I feel like it's, it like wasn't like mainstream for us when we were growing up, but yeah, like 1000% on the shelves, like very, very popular. That's thing. so funny. Also justice for Kellogg's because I fucking love cornflakes. Wait, by the way, like I kind of agree. Like when when it said that he like started this company, I was like, he fully copied Kellogg's. And then she was like saying it. And then he was like that. That's what people were saying. And she was like, which he obviously didn't. I want to be like, wait, he obviously did. Yeah, well, at least he went to him with the idea. He didn't yeah. like just try and do it on his own. He went to him with the idea first and the guy was like, no, this will never work. And so what else is he supposed to do other than go out on his own? And then Kellogg's yeah. copied his idea, but he was a non-believer. 100%. Yeah, I was not, I wasn't turned off by that competition because I feel like he played it by the book and he was so sick and he like was the only one in the family that made it on his own without an inheritance of wealth to work with. So I liked the dad being like the founder of all of this. Yeah. And it seems like he had ideas more than just like this cereal. He was obviously like a very good businessman. He wasn't, you know, just like a Mark Zuckerberg idea thief. Yes. Not also, having an original one. Um, I don't know if anyone looked up the daughter, Dina, Mm-mm. but she was like a queen because A, she was stunning like stunning beyond she was like an actual like actress also married the heir to colgate palm olive which i thought was crazy like of right, course yeah. like duh um that was and, in the book the heir. Yeah. yeah and then i just thought it was so interesting like um her life like she divorced colgate man got married two more times had four kids total two of which died before she did like oh no crazy like cats. mother like daughter yeah that's so sad. Oh, yeah, she is gorgeous. She's garge. It's crazy. That is crazy. Um, okay, next question. What was your impression, your first impression of Marjorie Merriweather Post? How did that impression change throughout the course of the novel, and how did Marjorie change during her lifetime? So actually, like, my first impression of Marjorie, like, even though she seemed, like, very precocious and sweet, like, I felt like they were always telling us how smart Marjorie was, but never showing us. Like, her father was always like, oh, Marjorie's my smartest girl. And it's like, she literally doesn't do anything 
what has she done? She keeps talking about how she like stamps some labels on a box, but like <laughs> that's arts and crafts for kids. Like maybe she really was like her father's little apprentice, but I just felt like he was always pumping her up and we were never actually like seeing what she was doing. Even when she was tasked with like running her Greenwich house, it was like the oh, wait, biggest she, deal yeah. in the world. And like that is like running a little company and women did not do things like that. But like her father never made her feel like a lesser than woman. And I feel like growing up in the environment that she did, she doesn't have to answer to anyone. Like I don't feel like she had to like break through this idea of herself as a woman. Like I felt like she always knew like I am capable of doing whatever I put my mind to and I and I have the luxury of doing whatever I decide to do. Yeah, but I felt like in business she had very sharp innovative ideas that she brought to the board and stuck to her guns about like a lot of these brands that ended up coming under the post umbrella that I feel like we can give her credit for. Like she yes, was definitely later in life, savvy. I, yeah, no, later in I life agree. When Jackie. she started to like make decisions for the business, especially even if it was just the frozen food decision, like that is like within a itself dollar is decision. Like, but I felt like growing up, um, she just like I didn't find her to be the, as impressive as her dad thought that she was, and like that she was going to be the heiress to all of this, and that okay, so she knew that her husband would have to be her decision maker by proxy and in a perfect world she would marry someone who wanted to work for the company and be enmeshed in all of this maybe at some point you should ask him about that before you married him and like maybe you seek out a husband who is from the midwest who has respect and reverence for the things that you guys are doing who's not old money and it's gonna like look down on you and just spend all your money like no I know she's a young girl and it's hard when you fall in love but they just were making her seem like this wise old soul and I just thought she was very girlish I totally agree it took too long for her to like take the reins I don't mean like actually take the reins like join the board of directors I understand that was like about timing and stuff but just in general like it just took her too long to like wake up and also like okay I understand with her first marriage naive being in love like whatever but like the way that she was so trusting of men to like put their names on the deeds and like things like that. Like, are you stupid? Like you're going to hand over the sea cloud to which husband was it? It wasn't Ned. Joseph. It was the third. Joe, like you're going to put it. What are you doing? Like, I, like that to me was wild. And even the house when they got divorced, like Joe got the house because his name was on the deed. Like you're the one paying for it. Like, what are you doing? I feel like she definitely had a complex, like, especially in that time where, like, men expect to be the man of the house, and she comes in with all this money, and the dynamic is just never going to be anything close to traditional, and she was always, as she said, making herself feel and look smaller so that her husbands could feel bigger, and if that meant putting their name on a house, like, Margot, to you, that would be, like, splitting your piggy bank, like, with someone, like, it's not (laughs) a huge thing, but it means something to them, and it makes them feel like, oh, this is my house, too, even though my wife pays all the bills, and I feel like she did those things to give her marriage a fighting chance, because really no man in that time was gonna be okay just, like, freeloading off of her. And yeah. I feel like for her, she wouldn't even want that. Because I kept trying to think of, like, what kind of man she actually needed. And I really couldn't. Because on the one hand, like, she needs someone who's not going to be threatened by her success. So probably she, someone who's not that successful. No, or, like, the president of the United States, you know? Like, no one has more power than him. Like, she or, needed to be a first lady. But, but, like, honestly, she, like, then the president, he only has four or eight years. And then what is he going to do? He's going to resent his wife. Yeah. She, also, she needed someone zero ego, and I don't think that existed. That doesn't exist, then, or really today. <laughs> no. Also, just yeah. something just to note as I was doing research. Um, 
in the way that the rich just like only get richer is that Ned Hutton had like a Wall Street firm, right? Mm-hmm. It was acquired by Lehman Brothers. Oh. And she was, and the daughter, Dina, was on the board of directors at Lehman Brothers. Oh, like right, they just, it just never dad. stops. Yeah. Okay, but then what happened when Lehman Brothers like went belly up? Well, I think she yeah. died. I do agree, Jackie, though, that I wish they did a better job exemplifying her brilliance with business decisions because I believe that it existed. But like the one throwaway line they gave us was during the Great War when she called the board of directors and was like, don't worry about lack of supplies, like dig in the soil and find more. And they all applauded that. Like, they were genius. like, yes, Marjorie, yeah. your father would say the same <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, that seems like an oversimplification. Like, an oversimplification. How did she... I agree. Yes. yes. And I that think was it like. It took her first marriage and growing up to gain her footing and some like competency mm-hmm. in the space. Like, I think that yeah. it was like underlying the whole time. And yes, I agree that I would have appreciated some clear cut examples, but like, she then showed up. Yeah, she definitely like, wanted to work. On the one hand, I kind of see her as like this Nepo baby who was a little bit smarter than your average lady and therefore yeah. was able to do amazing things because she had this like huge jumping off point. But on the other hand, I actually read a book last year about a very similar woman. I didn't realize it till later, but her name was Eugette Clark. Her father made a ton of money like in coal mining. They were from the Midwest. They wound up moving to New York City. They built like one of the biggest houses on Fifth Avenue, so big that when they sold it 20 years later, they actually had to demolish it because it was too big and expensive and nobody would buy it. Like the amount of wealth they had was crazy. And this woman, Eugette, like just was like obsessed with dolls and she wound up living the rest of her life in a in a hospital room. She wasn't sick. She just like liked the way they took care of her there. And at the hospital- I feel bad. They, at the hospital, they like- never kicked her out because she was like paying and she would like keep donating and she squandered all of her wealth on like dolls and living in a hospital girlfriend need to break it to you you're sick and this mansion in connecticut that um her family had owned like because she never made her money work for her she never went to work and so when i compare marjorie to a woman like her who's probably the exact same age and had a similar amount of money as her i'm like Marjorie, you go, girl. And you know what? Marjorie had no siblings. Mm-hmm. No one, when once her parents left, that she could lean on, that she could say, hey, I, I have a, this hunch about the business. What do you think? Like, she really was the only person who was going to take it from, like, CW Post to where it Post. went in 1985. Yeah. And, like, that is a credit to her. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, next question. Marjorie Post had many roles in life. Daughter, wife and mother, businesswoman, philanthropist, press target, press darling, hostess, collector, diplomat, style icon, etc. Which was your favorite side of her? Which do you think meant the most to her? Well, of course, mother meant the most to her. That's not a real question. What was your favorite side of her? I loved hostess side of her. I loved gardener. I loved designer. Of course, I loved mother. She had such important messaging that she communicated to her daughters. But Snitch, I'm with you. I loved hearing about like her style, her treasures, going to Russia and accumulating that insane collection, hearing about gems the size of grapes, I was eating it up. Yeah, I was eating it up. I was going to say that side, like her spending side. Like I love the spending her materi- side. Her materialism, like all of that, like that was for me. 
And I don't want to discredit her genius. Like, she was such a good businesswoman and had so many other elements, too. It just happened to really resonate with me. It was, like, delicious to hear about. I like Toastus. I just love when someone is capable and competent and can plan a good party. And her party sounded lit and, like, tasteful. And I would have loved to attend one. Oh, I, like, hated the party scenes. I don't know why. Oh, I liked, like, the dinners and the outdoors and the dancing and, like, just someone taking care of everything for you and having, like, all the best foods and all the best stuff. I just feel like something always bad bad always happened when she had a party, like a husband got True. too drunk, blah, blah, blah. But, I, no, my favorite part was, like, the access that she had. Like, the places that she was at, the people that she met, the things she saw and the things she did. Like, you know, I, I think the, even the way she spent her money, it's like you really couldn't have done more with the job than Marjorie posted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least for someone to be that wealthy, she also had the keen sense to enjoy all of the riches of the world. She genuinely loved building houses and accumulating things. Like, if I was that rich, I'd have no interest in that, and that feels like a shame. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what would you do with all your money, Dana? Oh, my God, Dana, you would just, like, build a library and sit in it all day and read I, Yeah, I definitely want to go hunting in Russia for hidden jewels. That's what I wouldn't do. yeah. Okay, next question. A wife four times over, Marjorie sought her happily ever after with four radically different men. How did each marriage shape her identity? In the end, do you think she found her ultimate happily ever after? I don't think I'd say she found her happily ever after just because she was obsessed with being in love and having a husband. But I do think at the end, she, like, had found peace. I'll say that with... Ed, I feel like she recognized her desire to want to have a place in the world because I feel like he was at war and then during this time she became more involved with the war effort and patriotism and philanthropy, which gave her a huge sense of purpose and like orientation. So I feel like she recognized that with Ed. With Ned, I feel like she like tapped into her more like outgoing socialite side. She was like, yeah, I'm rich. I'm going to have fun. And she was like a natural nurturer with the loss. And like loss. after 10 10- after 10 years of like being tortured she was like ready to enjoy life and he was like the perfect person to usher her into that 100 percent. and then i feel like it brought like her nurturing side with the loss of ned's son and then welcoming deanie into their lives which was like a fresh perspective and like side of marge and then joey she was like okay we're like co-patriots and our civic duty is to go out and represent the usa and we're going to do it together and then with Herb, she was like, let's enjoy the arts together as two people Senior who love citizens. men. As two people who love men. Yeah, I feel like with Ed, she realized she wanted real. She wanted someone more loving. With Ned, she got someone more loving, but she needed someone more serious. With Joe, she got someone serious, but she needed someone like a little nicer. And with Herb, he was too nice to everyone. I will say for like how insufferable she probably was in these marriages that we didn't get a glimpse of, I did appreciate how unapologetic she was to a fault about her shortcomings. Like she did not care if these men thought poorly of her. Like she was going to plow on and be her annoying self in all aspects and not change. And I know she said she made herself smaller in some respects so these men could have an ego boost. But like ultimately when it became clear to even us as the reader that like her husbands were getting fed up, she just kept going. Yeah, no, and also, like, once they crossed that line, like, she left. Like, we didn't yeah. ever feel like she was staying in a situation that she should no longer be in. I feel like she saw every marriage through till the bitter end. But when it was time to go, even when she was still in love, she left. Agreed, really that was impressive and hard. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're, like, 
you think you know she was really really naive like it seemed everyone in the world knew that her husband was cheating and you thought she did on some level but then realized she really didn't because she divorced him the second she had proof and then everyone else seemed to think her last husband was gay and she was genuinely perplexed like i think she had a naivety about her who do you think sent those pictures i feel like the daughters Honestly, maybe Ooh. because they were like, yeah, of course we knew, Mom. Where were you? And she's yeah, like, I'm of course sorry. we knew. We took these pictures. <laughs> no, but but Dina said she was like that she knew even when they got married, but she, she was like, I thought that he would be a good companion with for you, which I get, like, just someone to, like, be friends with and spend your time with all the time. Okay, so be friends with them. Don't marry them. Like, intervene <laughs> yeah. and be like, um, maybe you shouldn't marry this man who clearly likes men. But it's so crazy how, like, a woman this powerful and rich and successful, like, literally cannot find a worthy partner. And that's just, like, a fact of life. I feel like nowadays Marjorie Post, like, maybe in her 50s would be dating someone much younger. Like, I Mm. feel like then a a younger guy, like, is not threatened by her success because it's, like, we're on two totally different playing fields and they get to enjoy the success. But they also, you know, they have to behave because, like, your bills are being paid. Um, but that was just, like, not a thing then. Yeah, maybe. Next question. Love, family, and feminism all are all major themes in the novel. What other overarching ideas did you notice? What did you take away from reading the book overall? Well, one theme that I noticed that it kept coming back to, which I think the author did a wonderful job weaving this in from the beginning, is, like, this idea of home. And how, like, Marjorie really never had a home to call her own. Like, she wasn't, like, even though she was technically from Battle Creek, like, that actually wasn't her home. They moved there when she was little. Um, Greenwich was never a home to her. New York, like, all of these places, they were either a husband's home, you know, a, a place that she went everywhere for her husband's. And I still, even though, like, she built her final home in washington dc like it still felt like that was joe's town a little bit i know she went to school there but like i still felt like that wasn't her home maybe mar-a-lago felt the most like home because Mm. she like built that really completely on her own and she went down to florida for herself and not for anyone she was like kind of waiting for ed to be you know out of the picture and then ned liked florida but that to me felt like it's crazy you could have 20 homes you could have 20 houses and not have a home also, I was like, yeah. stop falling in love with men who don't live near you. Like, Joe living in Pittsburgh, I was like, are we seriously? You're like 70. Why are you, like, living cross-continental? And Joseph, like, having to go to Russia, I was like, you didn't When think that happened, this? I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I thought that was her most likable moment in the book when she took it in stride and, like, obviously admitted she'd rather go to London or Paris, but ultimately made the most of it. I would be kicking and screaming and divorcing him right there and then. Literally. Oh, same. Yeah, but also, I, like, like, barely will go out to dinner at a <laughs> restaurant that I'm not, like, down for on, like, the Upper West Side. <laughs> but yeah, I, I she really like did it. she was at an advantage because, like, she had the means to bring everything over. Like, she said they had to be modest there. She was literally bringing furniture on her yacht with That's and true. frozen food to last them the whole time like and a toilet it, it's <laughs> crazy like I, imagine she actually had to go to communist russia and That's live true. like they're living you know like she really didn't have to but it was crazy that for so many years of her early marriage to joe like they literally couldn't speak candidly to each other because they were being bugged. yeah that was nuts I that was like the saving grace between their marriage literally then when they could be honest it was a problem 
<laughs> but I do I think like- that I think that the war changed Joe. I think that for a while, except it always seemed like her daughters didn't like him and that he didn't care about that. But I feel like for a while, he was a really good partner to her. Yeah. And then he got like meaner and older and sicker and in more pain Bitter. and angrier. Um, and I feel like that might be a theme of the time, like the war changing these men. Like even Ed, he went to the front lines. Like that changes a person. And then you come yeah. home to a person who changed in a different way. And it's like, you know, they weren't even getting along before. But it's like, if, say you were a happy couple and now you're both different people. Like, can you be happy again? Joe also like lost his sense in the community, it seemed. Like he was like a less reliable source for Washington. And I'm sure that was a hit to his ego. And I think most men are deeply insecure and like couldn't handle that. And he took it out on her, I think, in some ways because she yes. was just like rising and rising in relevance and popularity. Yes, I totally agree. He was kind of becoming like, he was also a little bit, not only was he not a darling, but then he was sort of looked at as like a communist sympathizer because he had written that book, which at the time was meant to be like flattering towards Russia to increase relations. And then it turned on him. Yeah. I'm sorry, just, like, quickly talking about Joe for one more second. Like, his, like, telegrams to her, like, after they met, not having kissed before, saying that he loves her, blue eyes. Love bombing. Love bombing. Love bombing. (laughs) And she fell for it. It was, like, some of the – I was, like, did this really go down? Like, I need to get in touch with, like, Marjorie's ghost and be, like, tell me what happened. I think things were just different back then. Yeah. Like – I do agree with that. But also, one. I think the reason why this book is a really strong historical fiction book is because there's so much about Marjorie that is out there, like books, interviews, archives, like she's donated so much. It's, she's kind of like a, mo- a postmodern woman. Like, you know, I read The Queen's Fortune. I don't know how the author got her hands on all that stuff from the 1700s. Like, I feel like Marjorie is kind of like an accessible person to know things about. So like when there's something like that, I think it's true. And also she, you know, there were so many people who worked for her, like so many witnesses to everything in her life. Like, I I feel like those facts are true. Yeah. I feel like another theme similar to how you can have a million houses and no home is just like, you're never satisfied. You always want more. She kept repeating how she had so much money. She couldn't spend it fast enough. It's like, no matter how many things you build and how many things you own, you always want something else. Yeah. But I feel like because she never had that, like she had a little bit of a hole inside of her, like from not having a strong family unit. And like from the minute she married Ed, like she was just untethered. Yeah. And I felt like also she was a little hard on uh, her dad's new wife, a little unnecessarily harsh. And like she cut her out of her life and her dad for that matter, like just because she didn't like this woman. And it's like. I feel like she was only hurting herself and she ran away for, she married Ed in two seconds to like run away from them and look where that got you. Like, I feel like that was a mistake. Agreed. Layla like didn't sound like the worst person from other objective narrations beyond hers. And it's like, it's tough that they were having an affair before they got together for real. Um, But like your parents weren't living together. Like what do you think is happening? (laughs) Yeah, she was pretty, And he stayed married to her. It's not like he was this guy who was having a million different affairs. He was extremely wealthy. He could have been. Like, he stayed loyal to her. Yeah. Okay. Final DBQ. The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post is written from a first-person point of view. Did that help you to connect to Marjorie as a character? How might the book be different if written from a different perspective? 
I hadn't thought about this until this question, but I actually feel like it might have been a little better written from a different perspective because I feel like when it's first person, like I want to, I want to know the mind and the heart and soul of Marjorie really well if it's a first person account, but it's really hard to do that when you're not her. And I feel like I didn't read a first person account of her anyway, so... I felt like, and I keep saying this, I wanted the perspectives of the other characters about her more so than I wanted the book to be written in, like, third person. Yeah. I'm surprised, but that's really interesting. I really liked it from the first person. It just made it feel more intimate and personalized, and while I know a lot of these details had to be kind of like, oh, like, we'll, we'll just assume or put these feelings here, I liked how it flowed. Yeah. Yeah, I liked how it flowed too. And I didn't notice it until the end. But it's like, I actually really feel like I don't know Marjorie's personality at all. Um, she seems like a nice lady. But 100%. Also a, like, a if t- I were in a, a room with her, lady. like, I wouldn't know what to expect. Yeah. Agreed. I felt she was inaccessible. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for the redhead questions. First up, I love this month's pick. Great job, Jackie. I knew nothing about Marjorie before this book, so it was great to learn about her. But I was kind of getting Forrest Gump vibes, LOL. I felt like she was just this person that just so happened to find herself in these situations with other famous people throughout history. My favorite situation was when she was at the coronation of King George VI. Very cool to think that she was in the same room as Queen Elizabeth at one point. What were each of your favorite famous person moments in the book? That is an amazing question. This isn't a famous person, but I actually loved her developing relationship with the reporter that originally wrote all that trash about her. Yeah, Betty Beale, and then became her friend. Only because it showed that Marjorie is the bigger person and was like, I'm going to win these people on my side as opposed to like, I'm going to be successful and they could eat their hearts out. She was really determined to just like get everybody seeing the positive in her. Um, I really liked like the Vanderbilt Astors, like, all of Roosevelt's like that was really cool to me and like obviously the presidents but like whatever Consuelo popped up too I know I know I was wondering if they knew each other like of course they had to it's the same time she popped up more than once yeah she was around yeah I loved interacting with the first ladies like a little Jackie O moment a ladybird Mm -hmm. moment a Betty Ford that was so cool and I just I thought the like having earrings from Marie Antoinette and like all of these Russian like brushes with like Russian aristocrats and that part of history was like beyond the fact that she owns all of this stuff so cool yeah so cool I would say all of the jewels the Tsarina's jewels Catherine the Great that was like the craziest to me so crazy Next, I thought it was interesting that the book was split into four parts with each part dedicated to one of Marjorie's husbands, the four husbands of Marjorie Post, perhaps, <laughs> yet the title of the book refers to her multiple lives. Which life slash husband of Marjorie's was your favorite to read about? Um, Ned Hutton, because of the way that they spent their money. No, when they were in Cuba and like just on that tour and there was gambling and he's out like days at a time, 50 grand on the table, I'm like... It's so much anxiety. I was like, he's going to no, blow her fortune. No, sorry. Yeah. I hated that. But like when they were building like, um, what was it called? Hut, the Adirondack house. Yeah. Camp Hut Ridge. A Camp Hut Ridge. And like when they were building the yacht and like all of that, like 
and they were like also her, the parties like the Versailles party like that was just sickening the Dorothy of it all oh my god obviously they like and they stayed married her. they stayed married it's crazy but that's crazy. why I want to know is was Dorothy actually that crazy at the party that it was so memorable for you to hate her or is like are we writing in hindsight here and she was just like kind of a fun girl at the party well she was like her daughter's friend yeah that's like, I think that's creepy yeah definitely. I do too my favorite was also Ned Hutton I liked that time in their lives it like felt the most joyful yeah but when I picked up this book like I thought that it was really going to be like when I think of Marjorie Post now like I think of her one life because I feel like her business is the thread that like threads through everything and the husbands are kind of just like stops on the way but I feel like when I would when I had thought of the title like I would have thought okay so she's someone's wife and then she's someone's you know not that she was born with all of this and how she spent it until the end like I don't know. I feel like it was really Marjorie's life and the other people were along for the ride. Aside from when she literally became an ambassadress in Russia, there was no point where I was like, oh my God, this woman's doing this now. I was like, that's what Marjorie would do because like Marjorie has $3,300 million. What else is she going to do? When Ned like left the boat and she didn't know when he was coming back, my heart sank for her. That was so stressful. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like Ned. Like, when, like, just all the drinking, I was just like, this is trouble. Yeah, yeah. I like that she didn't drink. I like that her dad didn't drink either. Um, I feel like she drank. She did at different points in her life, but I feel like she always came back to not drinking, and, like, that was kind of one of her, at least that was one of her dad's, like, core principles, and I feel like it really served them. I liked also her mentality about, like, getting up in the morning, getting dressed, getting breakfast by herself like not wait not having breakfast in bed and sauntering around like I liked that she was a doer you know because I feel like it's really easy to just be like lady of the manor but I had mad respect for that next question would you say that every house now has a freezer thanks to Marjorie Post not because of her yeah yeah she got the ball rolling but I do think like it would have happened regardless Okay, last question. It's clear that Marjorie Post had a magnificent life, but did you feel that the author spent way too much time on her marriages and not enough time on the other fabulous people around her and important things she did? She casually mentioned that Marjorie was rubbing elbows with Mrs. Astor, Consuelo Vanderbilt, and the Kennedys, but we got every painful detail about the trash men in her life. I wish there had been more in the book about her influence in society and politics. What do you think? This was sort of what I was saying when I was opining about my feelings about the book that she accomplished so much even even when she was like like coming into her own I feel like that was more worthwhile to learn about than like orienting herself alongside one of her husbands and like I just wish that it wasn't so through the lens of love and marriage and like what worked and what failed so I agree with this question yeah yeah I agree I don't know I mean, I care more about, like, her actual relationships than, like, people she rubbed elbows with. And who even knows, like, what kind of relationship she had with those people that she saw. I feel like we got to know who her friends were because they were talked about a bunch along the way. The people who, like, introduced her to all the future husbands. Um, It didn't bother me that they focused on them because I really didn't know that she was, like, going to keep meeting men and, like, getting married. Every time you're like, okay, this is the one. Yeah. Okay. It was crazy how she married four men. <laughs> yeah. Who all seemed really promising, except for Ed. Did not That's seem. more like boyfriends than people have in their lives. Yeah. 
Okay, now it is time for the moral of the story. And this conversation is brought to you by Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. And we are still, you know, grasping at trying to remember them. But now thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. So if you want to learn a new language, Babbel is a great place to start. They make everything snackable. You could do 15 minutes a day with their lessons. Or if you just are going to a, on a short trip to a new country and want to brush up on a few key terms so that you know how to get around, Babbel is the great thing that will help support you as you learn. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use promo code REDHEADS. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com code REDHEADS, spelled R-E-A-D-H-E-A-D-S. At the Redheads, we love learning. We love learning new things, educating ourselves. I feel like learning a new language is right up there with setting a book goal for reading. And Babbel is the language learning app, period. Moral of the story, who wants to give it a stab? That was kind of my problem with this book. I struggled to find morality. Like I just Whoa. found her to be a little oh my empty. God. Yeah, she <laughs> went there. But what about, I, I have a good one. I have a good one. Okay. It just came to me because I think something that the author did harp on was that you know she felt that her wealth was a burden unless she could share it. So like my that. moral would be: with great power comes great responsibility. Boom, there it is. Oh, that's a good that's one, Jax. Good. That's a good one. That is good. Did anyone like, want to yeah. follow that up? I agree with you. I do feel like anyone else in that position really could have spoiled that wealth for poor means. And even though I wish the book treated it a little differently, she did do a lot of good with her money. Yeah. No, I think that was good. Mine was don't measure your self-worth through the lens of love or slash marriage. But that's not really immoral, but it's a takeaway. That's nice. I hear what you're saying. Thanks, Jax. Snitch. I align with you, or that like money can't solve everything. Yeah, mo money, yeah. mo problems. Except I actually don't feel that way with her. Like, oh, my yeah, boyfriend either. lives in Pittsburgh. I'll buy a jet. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, if anything, she showed me that like money does solve everything. Yeah, like money <laughs> makes your life a whole lot easier. Oh, you have to go to Moscow, bring a whole yacht full of fresh food. Oh, the house can't handle all the refrigerators, bring a generator. Oh, oh there's a the- Great Depression. All, all thrive. The yeah. moral I actually typed out was money can't buy you happiness, but it can certainly help. <laughs> yeah. Also, one part of the book that really bothered me when I was start when Marjorie was starting to lose me, like I felt like they threaded the feminism thing throughout the book, obviously because like she is that bitch. But one, she talked about how she became like a advocate for women's voting, and then never talked about like when women got the right to vote. Like, what did that mean mm-hmm. to her? You know, I feel like. I would have loved to hear about that. And then also when she came back from Europe and was like speaking to women, 
Remember she had that one speech and her daughters were going and she was really nervous. And yeah. what she said was like, if Hitler like takes power, like it will be terrible for women. Yeah. But girl. <laughs> Jews maybe too. Read the like, room. I was just yeah. like, I literally yeah. highlighted it because I thought it was so dumb. So, it's a little tone so true. Yeah. That like really annoyed me. I was like, you're so for right. For women? <laughs> so true. And like, and it, maybe like, he, like maybe he, but they, when she was like talking about how she heard him on the radio, like he didn't say anything. I didn't see anything about like what that would mean for women. Like you want to oh, back yeah. that up, miss? 100%. Okay. Yeah. Now yeah. Hollywood treatment. I think this would make an amazing movie and it has to become a movie because like that's what movies are. Like finding people throughout history and giving them yeah. a movie. And like she reminds me so much of Joy Mangano, which is really random, but just because they're both like inventresses. Um, so we need this movie, please. Who would you cast? We're going to cast one Marjorie who could play Marjorie starting at like 20 to like 50, 60 with aging technology. I can go first. Do it. I cast Alexandra Daddario. Daddario. She was in what? Same. You you did the same person? Just because I searched like blue-eyed 35-year-old actress. And even though she's not my favorite actress, I actually think she has the perfect right like disposition for this role. And she has the bluest eyes you've ever seen in your life. I felt like she was so regal and poised, but also like so stunning and just like would like – shock a room and I was like she feels right yeah I do agree I I'm open to other people but that's like where my mind took me even though along the way I really wasn't envisioning anyone me neither I did Margot Robbie I feel like that's like so obvious yeah that's good yeah that's probably right I had Kirsten Dunst that's pretty good honestly yes Yeah. Nice. Honestly, we didn't get a you know ton of descriptors, so it could have gone a lot of directions. Yeah, it could have. Okay, now it is time for our overall rating of this book. Um, I'll start with you. You go first. Yep, I'm giving it a four on my very blunt scale. Dana? 3.4. Becky? Four. Snitch? Three nine divided by four is a three point eight two five. That that really feels, right. feels right. Feels really, really right, ladies. Feels <laughs> right, ladies. Let me really, pull really. up my spreadsheet so we can see where it ranks compared to the other books that we've read. Jax, I'm surprised you can't just like mentally place it. Seriously. I know that's next. I need to work. That's on your next that. task. I'm, 3.825 makes it number 17, right after American Duchess. <gasps> oh, wow. interesting. What did we give Run Rose Run. Wow. That's Run like Rose a- Run, we gave too high. Yeah, yeah that book stunk. <laughs> I can't remember if I liked this more than American Duchess. I think I, I like American Duchess sure. more. Oh, I like this more. I liked this more too. Oh, I liked American Duchess more when I read it because I was, like, a more generous reader. But a more generous historical reader. Yeah. Now I'm very critical. Like, a year ago, I would have read this and given it a five, period. Now, your girl's not as easy to impress. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think about the book that I'm blanking on that everyone's telling you to read that's historical. 
What do you mean? The book that you haven't read yet that's on your list that's about like a duchess. I'm going to butcher it, but it, the like, one that you yeah. keep telling me to read? Yes. yes. Uh, the Marriage Portrait or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm going to read and it. The, no, but with your critical eye towards historical fiction now as yeah. a well-versed reader, I'm curious because that's like the only one I've ever read. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really good. Let's get into the other books that we read this month. Snitch, what do you got for us? I read um, Tis the Season for Revenge. It, like, was so stupid, but good. Like, writ, like you would literally hate it. <laughs> um, but it was good. I would give it, like, a 3-7. And then I read Meant to Be by Emily Giffen, which I loved. Adored. Um, adored. Like, I just loved that it was, like, based off of, like, Carolyn Bissett and JFK Jr. And, like, I, when I was reading it, I was like, this feels like eerily familiar. But then to realize like that was the whole fucking point. Like yeah. I, f- I f- figured it out when they got on a plane, but um, I loved it. I really just thought it was great. Like I would give it like a four or five. Um, and I guess that's it. I really thought I read more this month, but I guess I didn't. Pretty good. Becky, I know you were traveling. What'd you read? I was traveling. I read Mad Honey by Jodi Picoult, which was a Dana recommendation. I... Ranked it a 3.5 out of 5. I just feel like there was better Jodi Picoult books out there. Um, but it was really good. I also read Things We Never Got Over by Lucy Score, which was a Snitch's recommendation. I let Snitch know that I felt, like, good about it. And I gave it, like, three descriptors. I was like, good, hot, long. Long. Yeah, for sure. I'll so, give you that, the fact that it was definitely a little too long, but it was good. It was it was definitely good. Um, and then I read a Jack's recommendation, which was The Magnificent Lives of Marjorie Post. So I represented all of my redheads this month. Oh, cutie. I read three books. I read The Family Game by Katherine Steadman, which is kind of like a thriller. And I was so close to choosing it this month for the redheads. And even though I enjoyed it, four stars, I'm so glad I didn't choose it. Like there's not enough conversation and it was just like an enjoyable thing. I have... No desire to talk about, you know, what we thought about the themes and the plots. Um, but it was pretty twisty. So if you like a twist and a quick read, The Family Game. Then I read Demon Copperhead, which took charge of my entire month. Like, <laughs> the way that this book sunk me into a rabbit hole of Appalachia, I just didn't see that for myself. Um, it's by Barbara King Solver. Five stars, amazing book, opened my eyes about so much. Then I wound up watching Dope Sick after that. And I read Hillbilly Elegy afterwards, which I'll get to in a second. But Demon Copperhead, I would highly recommend. It's it's a dense read. Like, it's a Dana's choice for sure. But it is worth it when you finish it, I do believe. Like, I feel like you'll, you know, if we chose it for the redheads, we'd be like, the beginning's too slow. We got the point, blah, blah, blah. But I feel like the author really laid the groundwork for the main character so that, like, I felt like I understood him, whereas I didn't feel like I understood Marjorie Post. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Then I read Hillbilly Elegy, A Memoir of a Family and Culture in Crisis by J.D. Vance because it's been on my want to read for a while and then I figured it was like a good book to read to learn more about Appalachia and what's going on. Um, And it was okay. Before I started reading it, a few people had told me that like Appalachians don't like the book. So then I was like, why am I going to read this like one guy's account of what's going on? I'm glad that I did because it it was actually a really big book and like pop culture. It was turned into a movie and everything, but it wasn't my favorite. I gave it three stars, but thankfully it was really short. So not too much to worry about. Dana? 
I also read three books. The first was The Winners by Frederick Backman. Trash, trash, trash. He's That's the, most the same overrated author. author of oh all time. my god! So I loved a man called Ave that they're now like adapting for American culture in a man called Otto series. And then Jackie and I despised Anxious People. To this day, one of the worst books I've ever read. I but I wanted to give him finish it one more chance because of how much I loved a man called Ave. Never again. No third chances. I gave it a one point five. Horrible. And it was seven hundred pages. Oh Next. Uh, to, to redeem it, I went with my loved, beloved, trusted Elizabeth Strout. She wrote Olive Kitteridge. Amazing book. I gave it a 4.7. So fucking good. Everything Elizabeth Strout writes is just like A-plus material. Highly recommend. And then per Jackie's recommendation, I also read Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. I gave it a 4.8. Oh, it was such a palate cleanser. I needed it. It was so incredible. Couldn't say enough good things about this book. Highly recommend to everybody. You really just like go down that rabbit hole and you don't come out for days. 4.8, Dana. Wow. And what, did you, what would you give a little life? 4.9. Wow. So this is very close. Wow. We're getting up there. We're going to hit a five <laughs> one day. I feel like A Little Life actually needs to be a five because that's my favorite book. Yeah, so, that like, needs that's to the be bar. the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the bar. So a five for A Little Life. Okay, great. And Demon Copperhead got a 4.8 from Dana. 4.8. So you yes. guys should be reading it. And um, Olive Kitteridge got a 4.7. So yeah. just get into Elizabeth Strout. She is so good. Okay. Olive Kitteridge sounds like the name of an American Girl doll. 100%. Olive Kitteridge, brother of Kit Kitteridge. Well, I'm like, is Olive the author or the title? <laughs> uh totally um okay that's a wrap on the redheads you guys this was such a fun episode thank you all for being redheads we need to Bex, say our next month we do. oh my goodness becky what are we reading next month it's a becky's choice i got so worried we we're gonna leave our redheads hanging Never. next month we are reading the measure by nikki ehrlich so you guys this looks crazy i feel like it is such a perfect topic for a book club and i feel like we're all gonna have so many thoughts it's like one of those like, would you, won't you? And I think that it is the perfect time to become a redhead. Many thanks to Jax for planting this little seed in our in our head. I just wanted to throw it your way. I'd heard really good things, so um, but I heard them after I already chose my book. So I was like, you know, if this looks up to Becky's standards, we should read it. I think it's very of the moment. This book seems to be hot around town. So hot off the presses. Redhead's always at the forefront, so please join us in our upcoming conversations. Will do. Well, thank you to my fellow hosts so deeply for reading the book and discussing it with me, and thank you to our listeners for being a part of this fabulous community. We love you all, and we will see you next month. Bye. 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 Bye.